along to What's the Chat this week. My name is Alison Craig. And my name is John Wood, and I'm sitting here in a dinner jacket with my bow tie on, looking out the window. The sun has got his hat on, but also a very, very thick overcoat. It's a beautiful day today, but uh, yesterday there was a blizzard in the middle of lunchtime when I was sitting outside eating a bowl of soup with my son. It was bizarre, but uh, that's why we love Scotland. God, how we love it, don't we, Jonathan? Well, we do, actually. I was playing golf this week, and we got to the 17th green. Boom, hailstones. Hailstones for one minute, and then what to the 18th tee? Sunshine. Oh, what the hell is that about? I don't know what it's about. It's all gone to ratchet, to hell in a handcart, and any other expression therein. And of course, it was the Masters this weekend. I expect oh, you were glued to that, were you? You love yeah, a bit of golf. Uh, Matsuyama, 29 years of age, the first Japanese ever to win a major. Uh, and, it was a, and it was quite interesting because at the end of the round, his caddy, I can't remember his caddy's name, uh, he, he walked past the 18 to put the flag in the pin mm-hmm, that's what he mm-hmm, did mm-hmm. and then he took off his cap and he bowed to the course did he and it's all over facebook and all social media it's like it's really cool and respectful i can see this catching on i can see okay. everybody doing this okay. now I'm, that'll be you what's john doing oh he's just bowing at the course again. To the course again there was a scottish guy that did quite well though yes wasn't actually yeah bob mcintyre he finished two under and really? he played really, really well, Robert McIntyre. Yeah, he uh, came from nowhere and then boom. He no, was, he, he, he came was from Oban. So yeah, he, he played very well indeed. So it was beautiful course to watch. It was absolutely fantastic. And do you know how much the winner won? $11.5 million. Is it? Yeah. You should have stuck in at your golf, you see. That's it's a bit perhaps a little bit late in the day. But but anyways, we've got we've got a good podcast lined up for you today. And you remember you can always get in touch with us. You can drop us an email at the drop of a hat to what's the chat podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us also on Twitter at what's the chat podcast and can get us on Facebook as well. What's the chat podcast? So get in touch. Um and you know, it's always good to get a bit of banter because we like to hear your stories. I mean, you must be sick hearing ours by now. A guy called David Hanna wrote uh, to us this week. He asked us uh, how we met, where we met and interestingly if we got on so the answer to that is coming up this week it was quite fun recounting that wasn't it it was good I enjoyed that actually talking about other things that we've been doing the weekend I I managed to watch a movie it was on Amazon called White Tiger have you seen this? Oh I did I really really enjoyed that it was a brilliant movie quirky Yeah, very quirky. Very quirky. Not what you expect. No, no. And I think when you see White Tiger, I thought, oh, it's going to be another Tiger King scenario, you know, just because uh, we were all obsessed with that about this yeah. time last year. Yeah. But no, I, I thought it was That's really good. entertaining good. and, uh, yeah, yeah very it. interesting. I would I would agree. For once, we agree. <laughs> well, there was also the Mauritanian, which was quite good. That's with Cumberbatch and Foster. Foster, she's got a strange hairdo, actually. Jodie Foster. Know. Yeah, she's... Don't really call her thin. Foster. Oh, Foster. What, what are Foster. you, back at a public school? <laughs> Foster! Foster, time out to a radio and beat me with a wet woodbine, if you don't mind. You um, see, old habits <laughs> die hard. She's, her hair's really green now. She's, so is mine, strange... shut up, that's yeah, why we it's, diet. It's full grey, it's, it's a good So is mine, shut like... up, that's why I diet. <laughs> and hey, listen, at least I fucking got here. <laughs> oh, you see? Now, David was asking, did we fall out? Yes, we did. Today. Today and now. And then we never spoke again. That was it. People say if you're selling your house, you're best mm. to either bake some bread or brew some fresh coffee. That, that, that's true. 
Well, does that work, does it? I've done it. I mean, you know how many times I've moved. It's like, right, get the coffee on. Also, I also have some nice music in the background. Maybe something a bit Van Morrison, you know, something a bit gentle. Nothing too in your face. No kind of, uh, you know, mega death or anything like that. And nothing too pretentious. Bit of Van Morrison, something like that. And you're going to set the scene, the nice oh. coffee. The uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. A friend works. of mine took that to the extreme. He was an American guy and he wasn't very confident. I won't mention his name because he's listening. You'll know who he is anyway. I had met a girl and um, he fancied her pal Rotten. And I says, well... Was that her name? <laughs> yeah. I said, just, uh, just phone her up. Give her a wee call. And he says, right, okay, I'll do that. I says, well, go on then. No, 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 no. I've got, I, I better go my record collection. Like, what? And he went through, I've got to get the right background music to ask her out for a date. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, now that's taking it to an extreme. I never thought of that before. Yeah, that was a new yeah. one. Yeah. Anyway, she accepted. she accepted. Oh, she did? And now they're married and they've got No, 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 no. She just no, accepted no. the date then chucked them. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, once she'd had a six-course meal. That's right. Don't nice. get me wrong. I loved your music, but you're crap. Oh, remember mixtapes? You used to make or give mixtapes. It was a real declaration, that, wasn't it? Of You, know, you put yourself out there with your favourite, favourite tracks and uh, you would say, well, I made you a mixtape. And it was like a, I suppose it's like a declaration of love in its way. Oh, yeah, and, if, nice, you know, if it's like, if you didn't like the music, then there's yeah. no point in pursuing it. I remember if I used to buy the yeah. top hits. Remember, they, were, they always had a, a bikini-clad lady That's in the front. That's right, yeah. And they top were the, always... Top of the Pops, was it yeah, Top of the Pops? Or top, just, I know, yeah. yeah, Top of the Pops. And uh, the artists were always... But Cover never versions. were the actual ones, oh, you know? I've got an old pal from Aberdeen, Andy. Uh, he knows who he is, obviously, because he's my pal. And I know he listens to this because he's said some very amusing things about our chats. But anyway, uh, one thing he sent me, because he's, he's, he's an absolute music fanatic. He's a drummer as well, actually. Mm-hmm. What is it about drummers? Anyway, he sent a picture of an album cover that of an album he'd lent me. All right. And I had borrowed it and had handed it back and I'd written on the cover. I mean, it was only about, I don't know, I must have been 16, you know. But I'd actually written on the cover. Here it is. It's a Genesis Live album, which he says... I defaced in about 1977 and all I had was an arrow pointing at uh, a guy. He had very, very long hair, Andy, back in the day and I just said, Andrew Milne, okay. Oh, I've said the second name. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so there it is, completely defaced. Nice God, I'm really sorry. It's, it's, you know, apologising for it 70 years later. And he said, yes, and let's not forget my copy of Heat Treatment by Graham Parker and the Rumour. Me sitting in the front passenger seat of your car wondering why my feet seem to be on something. Why? It's my copy of Heat Treatment by Graham Parker and the Rumour. Still scuffed. So I know, so I do apologise. I was never a big... Um, you know, I mean, I had loads of albums, <laughs> most of them Andy's, obviously. But, I, you know, I, I didn't, OK, I didn't look after them very well. I didn't, I confess. When you mentioned album covers, our, our youth was marked by album covers that you bought. That's and you right. still have them and they take you back in, you know, to these memories. Whereas youngsters, they're downloading stuff. Where's uh, the actual physical thing that goes, oh, I remember that. I mean, there was things like you had to have Dark Side of the Moon. You had oh, to have that. Absolutely, right? double album. Yeah, you had Easing. to have a Led yeah. Zeppelin album. That was that absolutely. was that was a given. You had to have a Braxis. You had to have a Yes or an Emerson Palmer album. And there was these. And whenever you see them in your cupboard, you go, God, I remember buying it. 
I remember the time that happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and the lyrics and all the stories and the little, you know, you would get an insight into the band and why the song was written. And and often the artwork of the albums was was as much a part of the experience when you think about it. Yeah, If you think of Yes, it was Roger Dean who was the artist. That's right. And And his work is beautiful. Well, it is, but also, did you? You probably do know this because you were a major Yes fan. Uh, that in every single one of his drawings, there was a condom somewhere. Oh, I didn't know that. Even yeah, and all of his posters, all of the, all of the drawings he did, you know, it might just have been a, on a tree branch or you know tucked away somewhere. Really? But you would, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's one of these anomalies of life. I don't know. It was just his thing, so to speak. <laughs> Possibly wasn't the right expression, given the context. It wasn't his thing, it was a condo. A guy called David Hanna wrote to us this week. He asked us uh, how we met, where we met, and interestingly, if we got on. It was a kind of forced situation, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was It was the Barony Bar, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was because uh, I, I had come back from the States with this idea of a zoo crew because on KMEL in San Francisco they had a zoo crew with five people and it was like wow this is amazing it was hilarious I was always late to, to my work listening to it and there's a guy called John London who was the, the linchpin who was a genius if you ever go on YouTube and listen to him he was just brilliant so to cut a long story short I think we tried it it didn't work and then Colin Somerville uh, said uh, meet Alison Craig and, and that was it and yeah. he said the same it was, it was quite funny yeah he did he said to me you have to meet John Wood and I was like aye aye who's that then and they said uh, you know he's, he's, he's quite funny and I went oh let's see how funny he is uh, I was met saying I was highly suspicious highly suspicious an Aberdonian a woman I don't think so and I'm like and she's funny I write an Edinburgh a bloke called John aye stick that in your pipe and smoke it 30 years later Yeah, that was it. My God, when you think about it. Time, I know, I know, I know. We still hate each other. But you know, I was listening. It's quite interesting though, because you don't like the same uh, food I I I like. You don't like the same TV I like. We quite often, you know, have very different opinions. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously right, and then unfortunately, you're wrong. But you know, it's funny because we've never. I don't think we've ever fallen out. No, uh, I mean, you did break a wing mirror off my car. I well, remember. that was just a one-off. <laughs> but you deserve that. You did deserve now, that, Now, let's John. just recap on this, okay? Basically, we were out one night, and I ended up dropping you off. Uh, and, and for some reason, I said, right, good night, take care, I'll see you on Sunday. And you just got that look, and you're like, and you went out the car, and then you got the wing mirror, and you broke it, good night. I didn't do it for nothing, John. I have no idea I why, but you must have, must have said, said something. Some. Well, you obviously did, yes. <laughs> nice of you to give me a run home and I vandalised your car. Well, actually, thank you, and I'm sorry. No, but when the first outside broadcast we did was in Disney, because the idea was to phone Disney and get some links in from Disney World. And uh, Tom Steele went, no, you're going. And we ended up doing a live show from Disney, which was hilarious. That was, was great fun, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, between the hour difference and uh, being surrounded by all these very uh, sort of just, they were all shiny, clean, yeah, white most teeth. Tears, yeah, you know, Imagine no kind of makeup. The girls had yeah. their hair tight. They were all blazered up and they were very yeah. fresh and delightful. And we were, as ever, hunched over. <laughs> 
hunched on. over at the desk, you know, doing our broadcast, right. reeking of drink, probably, because oh, no. that Sp- was what it spent. Space Mountain and alcohol just doesn't go together. Uh, you know, we, you did a live um, oh, commentary felt, on felt Space sick. Mountain oh, uh, while you were going around it, and it was the funniest thing. And I wish we still had a copy of that because, honestly, it was an absolute knicker-wetter. It I was tell so there was, there was another funny. moment as well that we nearly fell out, but we didn't. Because you're, you're always ever-embracing and you'll accept things and it's fantastic. And then when it comes to the actual date, you go, mm, why did you do that? And one That's of them so was true. a charity event where we had to abseil down the Napier College at Site Hill. So we had to abseil down that for charity. Oh, awesome. Oh, we'll do it. That's great. <laughs> yes, we'll do it. Oh, it's a fantastic idea. Cut to two months later. I'm not doing it. You're not doing, I'm not doing it. You're doing it. I have to drive the desk. I have to stay in the studio. Oh, no. So Graham, the engineer, and I climbed to the top of the roof at Napier. Now, I had a bit of a hang-hang and had had a big Indian the night before. Oh, God. And he said, right, I'll tie you around. And the worst part is leaning over. Oh, gee whiz. Oh, I remember no. doing a live commentary down there. How I didn't swear and curse you to the day of death, I have no idea. <laughs> And because I had a, a touch of wind problem going up and down, oh and it was quite all oh, terrible. Not it wasn't. It wasn't that. very good. It oh, the harness was unusable. Should we oh, just was, say after I was that? petrified. I was absolutely petrified. Yeah, well, Graham was as well, being in the vicinity of your bahuki as it was looming down the it, edge it, of it a building. Oh, oh boy, I'll tell you. That's a hard one, that. That was a hard yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that you're still alive, John, <laughs> because it really wouldn't be the same without you. A couple of weeks ago, we had a chat with Dave Williamson, who is Midge Ewer of Ultravox, of course, uh, his bass player. And we have the unedited version of that interview coming up at the end of today's podcast because last week we dropped in an, an unedited version of a, an interview we did with John's old friend Kenny Kemp, ghostwriter, yeah, uh, and a lot of people responded to it and said they found it really interesting. So if you're a bass player or you've always wondered what the life of a touring musician's like, and just some, there's some great stories well, some in there. Some good ones, yeah. yeah. yeah very so honest as well. Very honest. Yeah, absolutely. So you'll hear that at the end of today's podcast. So we hope you enjoy it. What's the chats with Alison Craig and John Wood? It wasn't the first gig I went to, but I did go and see uh, when I lived in California in 87. I went to Oakland Coliseum and it was the last Rat Pack. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Simon Davis Jr. 90,000 people. Unbelievable. But one of the, one of the funniest ones was I went to, there's a place called Knob Hill. Pardon my friend. Sorry. And, and yes, exactly. And in San Francisco. And there's a hotel at the top of it. They oh, use that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And they hold a lot of concerts there. Took my mum and dad, they came across went to see Tony Bennett, got a good photograph of oh. Tony Bennett, my mum and all that. But one of the ones I went and on to was George Shearing, keyboard player, mm, blind mm-hmm. keyboard player with Mel Tormey. Absolutely, Tormy. jazz Mel player. Mel Tormey yep, was yep, a, yep. A, a, a scat singer, but a great drummer as well. But George Shearing's obviously blind and started to tell a few stories. And one of them was he was travelling across America and they stopped in Michigan. I think they were flying on to somewhere else, LA or whatever. And they stopped to refuel and the pilot came out and said to George, look, do you want me to walk your dog round the tarmac while we stopped? You know, a wee break for the dog. He says, oh, that'd be great. So there he goes down the plane and starts walking. So all these people, passengers, are getting on the plane, looking out the window, seeing the pilot with a guide dog. <laughs> 
<laughs> not restoring confidence on the flight, I can assure you. <laughs> so I'm had ramble for the exit. Yeah. Such fun and games on the tarmac. We have these island hoppers, you know, these little island hopper planes that you get up north. Oh, yeah. And uh-huh. uh, I think sometimes the pilots just get a bit bored. So there was, uh, there was, a, there was a foreigner who was sitting in the front seat. A and foreigner? Was, was a foreigner. I don't know where he was from, American, <laughs> Japanese or whatever. And uh, the pilot noticed that he was really, really nervous. So he thought, I'm going to play a joke on him. So what he did was he tied a piece of string. They were in mid-flight, tied a piece of string to the control panel and led it out the captain's door and said to the guy, can you hold on to that? I'm just going to the toilet. <laughs> the guy, the guy <laughs> I remember, you remember all those many years ago when we went off to Jamaica and uh, there was it was the lovely Colin Somerville was out there doing a recce beforehand. What a terrible job it was for him, poor man. Uh, and I remember he said they had to take a small plane from one end of the island to the other and just before they were about to land, this pilot turned around and said, does anybody smoke? And Colin went, oh yeah, I've got a packet of fags. So I sort of handed him a packet of Marlboro, whatever it was. And the guy just ripped at the top of the cigarette packet and sort of fiddled about underneath his, um, you know. Uniform, yeah. Steering. No, a steering wheel, oh, steering not wheel. uniform. <laughs> what the hell did you think he was doing? I wondered where the steering wheel was going. that sort of show, John. <laughs> Fiddle about, carry on, carry on. Anyway, he jammed it in somewhere and uh, Colin says, what are you doing? And he said, oh, that's just for the landing gear. Just need to get oh, that in there. Or the landing gear doesn't go down. Yes, it was all very, it's a high-tech operation. <laughs> and just uniform. What have you been watching late at night on your own on the television, I know, please? I know, I know, sorry Hot, please. <laughs> what have I done? I've, you know what, what I've done? I've tied my head off. Bits of cigarette packet I'm, under your trousers, are you? I'm, I'm packing my headphones into my package. Uh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I've, I've heard people putting socks down there, but you stop putting your seriously large padded headphones down there. Cause <laughs> <laughs> and I'm certainly going to stop talking to you. Let's not go there. Let's not go there at all. No, let's not. That's what your headphones are saying. <laughs> it's a funny place to listen. <laughs> Back to pork, 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 pork. pork. Why is it that drummers are always the absolute mentalists in any group? When you've got Keith Moon, you had John Bonham, you've got uh, Cozy Powell... And Cozy and the guy in um, Buddy Rich, he was on. Yeah, was he was he a bit of a? Oh, he was. Uh, he was uh, him and Frank Sinatra hated each other. Uh, he was he was quite. A, oh yeah, he was quite an aggressive guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of of of, of a of a, a stick wielding maniac, though, would you? No. Even if it is a drumstick wielding maniac, and you? Yes, yes, animal, <laughs> uh, <laughs> vegetable, and mineral. <laughs> Oh, it's never the easiest instrument to carry about, though. You know, sometimes when you're humping your bass drum, your tom-tom, your snare up the stairs, you're thinking, why didn't I take up the flute? <laughs> Try that with a piano. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we, used to, we used to have to take the organ up the stairs. Dougie played organ. And I remember one time he got a new organ with a Leslie tone cabinet and we had to take it up five flights of stairs at Charlotte Square, the Charlotte Rooms, because the lift had broke. Oh, my, oh God. my God. A Leslie tone cabinet? What's that? That sounds like something no. you'd strap your legs to and hope to be ready well, for the summer. You could if you wanted to. Um, <laughs> a Leslie tone cabinet was, in fact, a mahogany piece of furniture with a speaker inside it that revolved and gave you this special type sound. So that was your Leslie Tone cabinet. (laughs) 
Leslie Toon Cabinet. Sounds almost like a member of parliament, doesn't it? <laughs> Get in touch with John and Alison on What's the Chat podcast at gmail.com. My dad had an African grey parrot, which uh, he lost. How once. did your dad have a parrot? Uh, I, you know, I have no idea. It was there when I arrived and it was there until I was about 17. And um, in fact, it was one of my friends said he would look after the parrot when we went away on holiday and he went on and on and on about it. So eventually my dad went, OK, but you know, you, this is what you have to do. The parrot died when we were on holiday. No. I know. But actually it wasn't uh, It wasn't the guy's fault. What happened was it was, uh, the, you know, you can't sex an African grey parrot. I've so never it, tried. No, but don't because you won't be able to do it. It'll save right. you time in the long run you see I'm just a time saving expert um, but even like you know vets and specialists right. cannot sex an African grey parrot so we always called this parrot Kibo and a, we called him a him he was a great talker I mean he, he would sing he would talk um, he you know used to impersonate my dad I used to come in from school and shout mom I'm home and I used to hear this voice going I'm through here and I'd go through and it was the parrot so he was a great mimic you know he was a remarkable thing but anyway Dad used to let him out of the cage all the time. You know, he would fly around the house and he would wander about and he was just part of the family. Normal, I thought. Anyway, in this particular occasion, um, somebody left a door open and the parrot got out. So my dad was absolutely frantic, you know, for the whole day, the whole night. In fact, the, the parrot was missing and uh, he used to do this thing with the parrot where he would sing Charlie is my darling Oh yeah, and the parrot would go my darling, my darling and then dad would go Charlie is my darling and the parrot would go my bright cavalier so um, <laughs> we, we had a wood next to the house and uh, so dad was out there you know literally in full waterproof gear with this big cage without a bottom on it uh, wandering up and down the woods singing <laughs> oh, no. Charlie is my darling <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? He got the parrot back. He got really? it about five or six o'clock the next morning. You know, Charlie is my darling, my darling, my darling. Oh. Little cold bird. So oh. and he came and he, he, you know, he was there for for a long, long time. Yeah, they're great, great characters, great yeah. characters. I mean, I do, I know they shouldn't be in cages, and, yeah. and you know, yeah. I know all that. But but that was him, and he used to you know see his um, his name and address. And uh, I never had a parrot. My auntie used to breed budgies, and you know how you can tell oh. a male and female budgie? No. The top part of its beak, if it's brown, it's female. If it's blue, it's male. Really? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But my dad had two dogs, uh, one after the other. One was called Mac. It was uh, a Scotty. He used to bite everybody. That was a nightmare. <laughs> I, I wasn't arrive at the time, but he told me, he says, honestly, I'd bring people back to the house. Ah, are you? That was like Mac. You know? <laughs> and the other one was Sandy, who was like a 50-something. I remember Sandy. Dog. No, that, that, we, oh, that we was named a him after. Sandy. Yeah, we named oh, him after. You. And Sandy was a 57 variety. Mm. And... Um, it was New Year apart. My dad told the story. It was New Year, and they were all in the house having a good swally, and the doorbell rang, and they looked through the letterbox. It was the minister. And in these days, like, oh, the minister, put all the drinks under the chairs, under, under the bed, under the chair. And minister, hello, minister. And, of course, he was very subtle, the minister. He knew that, you know, he'd wish you all a happy New Year, and then he, he would know when to go quickly because everybody wanted to get back to the baby. And uh, that's very nice of you coming. Thank you. And a happy New Year to you. And I hope it's a good one for everyone. Blah, blah. And, then he, and then he left. And just as he left, everybody took their drinks back out, and they were all empty. Sandy had gone <gasps> and hoovered all the drink. No. Came out to the middle of the floor, and collapsed steaming. Luckily, he was still alive, but he was <gasps> buried out his head. Oh, we Sandy. Bandy Sandy after that. <laughs> yeah, dog with a hangover. Well, I suppose you know what he would get the next day. He'd be a hair of the dog. <laughs>
good one. <gasps> Poor little thing. Yeah, my, my friend Gordon's dad used to have a little scruffy wee mongrel called Buff. And he used to take him down to the local pub and uh, he would, you know, be in there of an evening with his pals and he would always get a half pint of lager for Buff. And Buff would, you know, make it last the whole evening, unlike Gordon's dad. But anyway, um, eventually Buff was taken to the vet when he was quite aged, you know, and the vet said, you know, what, what, what's his diet? <laughs> David said, well, you know, he gets, um, I guess, a half pint of lager every night in the pub. And the vet went, stop right there. So really? so he was, yeah, so he was taken off the drink, was little Buff. But yes, he'd <laughs> a dog taken, off, taken the off the drink. I know, and I know. Sadness, but, my are we ones, um, Sasha, I sometimes used to take her down the bailey, and what she would love is the froth of the beer at the top. Oh, you just put it on your finger and go, oh, love that, lovely. love that. Love See, that. my little sausage dog gets the remnants of my coffee every morning. He's very obvious, oh, you know, he ignores me completely until the coffee arrives, and then he's like, can I sit on your chest? Yeah. So, um, because I, I, I tend to have it when I'm lying in my bed, but somebody told me that caffeine is actually poisonous for dogs. Oh, so I have now started having a decaf coffee just so that I can give the remnants of it to the dog. I mean, what? Who's running this house? Oh, I know. Oh, don't tell me, but it's the same as Sasha. We get up in the morning. I put her food out. She loves uh, vegetable soup that Donna makes, homemade soup. Mm. Uh, she loves that, and she loves her, her wee iams and maybe a bit of chicken and stuff like that. So you put that out for her after a walk, and she goes over, sniffs it, and then says, "Right, what are you having?" Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh no, you're, you're, you're pamming me off this crap. I'm wanting some of the bacon right. and a bit of that omelette, okay? And then I might go back to that. Well, Dave and I were away for uh, the night and we uh, didn't want to take the dog with us. So my neighbours, Julia and Steve, took him. And, um, you know, he was, it was the first time he'd sort of been away, if you like, uh, you know, not with us for, for quite a long time. Uh, anyway, came back and, uh, you know, he was pleased to see us and whatnot. But I cannot get that dog to walk past their house now because he's in love with Steve. Because Steve gave him bacon. So now in the house, if we're sitting and Charlie's looking a bit, you know, that's the name of the dog. Charlie's looking a bit grumpy or a bit unmotivated. I just say to him, do you want to go see Bacon Steve? And he just jumps up his tail erect. He's ready at that door, you know, and then I'll have to drag him past because I can't go in every day for some bacon. But, you know, they're, they're oh, absolutely playing us oh, all. Yeah, they're totally yeah. playing us all. Take <laughs> the smedum off them all, basically. Oh, the, the what? Smedum. Do you know what smedum no, is? No, that's a great word. This was a Scottish word that I learned from John Brown's book, House with Green Shutters. Oh. And, which is a great book. And it was, it was way back at school, actually. Smedum was used to describe someone who had a bit of spirit and a bit of, you know, a bit of gumption and stuff like that. Smedum. Smedum. That's a ah, great that's a word. That's Scottish word, isn't it? I like smedum. Do you know what I got hold of, actually, because I love a word? Um, the girl that does the Dictionary Corner thing oh, on yes. Countdown, oh, she wrote a book... Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's all about really unusual words. I'll dig it out and then right. I'll bore you with that because there's What's some your brilliant word. Oh, I like Hochma Gandhi. What's that? Is that Six. Gandhi's brother? Sex. Oh, right. That's Scottish for, for a bit of how's your father, a bit oh, of, I don't know. you know, yeah, yeah. Hochma Gandhi. Oh, I think that's a great word. I like onomatopoeia. Oh, do you? I do. Like Regularly or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like onomatopoeia. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I suppose I, I, I tend to the Scots words. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Pulchritudinous is quite a good one as well. What's that? That means sort of spirited and attractive in some ways, you'd oh, say. Like he was that. a pulchritudinous young man or she oh, was a pulchritudinous lassie. 
See, these are things that are just fading away now. You need to bring Mm. them all back. I I think they should have part of the curriculum as Scottish old words to learn. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Because actually, sometimes there's nothing like that word that just whips it up. Exactly, you know, the meaning is completely unique. A bit like smedem. I mean, that's yeah, great. Yeah, that that yeah. really does. And hochmagandi. You think, oh, hello. I remember doing a pilot for um, London Weekend Television on the day of my 30th birthday, right? And I had been, um, for two days before this, because it was a really big break, for two days before this, I had been in a, a health farm. I decided to just throw everything at it. This is going to be my big break. It was with Angus Dayton and Mel Smith and, you know, all these big comedians of the day, uh, Griff Jones and uh, Clive Anderson. And, you know, it really was the big potatoes. So anyway, went to a health farm for two days, drank water, chanted with vegetables and arrived in London went to meet my friend Anne Hunter oh no uh, to get he for her flat met her in a wine bar uh, consumed eight bottles of wine between three of us and <laughs> the next day when I turned up at London Weekend Television not only did I look like a 73 year old man I was just palpitating and having a general panic attack anyway with a great deal of makeup um, and some help obviously and I was young um, it was my 30th birthday that's how young I was um, they managed to patch me up so I looked okay and I walked out and it was in front of a live audience and the other person who was my kind of male equivalent at the time was Nick Hancock if you oh, remember yeah. him he did remember, um, yeah, yeah. various things anyway and just as we were about to go out in front of the, the live audience and I was really pretty nervous to say the least he turned round to me and he went I hope you're not shite and walked out in front of the audience oh nice what a nice guy I know so I walked out and I was, I could, I, all I was thinking was, how do you breathe? What do you do? Do you, you breathe in? Do you breathe in? I can't breathe. My lungs aren't working. My nose, do I breathe in? Just in a terrible state. Yeah. So oh, that, that was, wasn't uh, nice though, was it? no, it wasn't nice. It was horrible. And I, I never What's forgot it because I thought, you know, yeah, I just thought it was like a very, oh, well, just a, not a very generous or nice thing to do. Oh. That's. I once had a gig at Dunfermline Carnegie Hall. I got a no, phone no, call. no, 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 miss out the Dunfermline, okay? Okay, okay. And just see, I had a gig at Carnegie <laughs> had a gig Hall. at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And uh, the phone call came out of the blue and said, uh, can you go along? Gig starts at 7.30 and it's, you'll be backing uh, the singer John Hansen. Now, John Hansen, you, you probably wouldn't know him. He, he used to do, his party trick was the desert song. He was in... The Desert Song, which I think was a musical, and that was his. That was his gig. He was a big. Well, give it. What, how did it sing it? I don't know. I have it. no idea. How, oh. No idea. No idea. <laughs> and I arrived there, and it was just. I thought it was going to be an orchestra, and that was my reading at that point of music wasn't that hot. And I, I arrived there, and it was just a, a pianist and me. I says, "What is this? I oh, don't worry about the dots." He says, "Just follow me. There'll hardly be so, anybody here. Anybody." The dots. Yeah, yeah just follow me. I mean, there'll be hardly anybody here. You'll be fine. So we went on to the stage, cut and opened. Place was heaven. Oh, Fully blue rinse no. brigade, older women who fancied John Hansen in the old days, and it was heaven. Oh my God. No. And then on, we had some fire eaters, we had jugglers, and you had to play music along to them. And then John Hansen came on, and oh, he fancied himself. Uh, but uh, yeah. That you was survived part. it. I survived it. I've got £35 and just basically. I've lost £35. I've lost £35 in sweat. Basically. So yeah, that was my Carnegie Hall story. Done fairly, it has to be said. 
Get in touch with John and Alison on What's the Chat Podcast at gmail.com. So, unlucky for some, it's number 13 podcast next week, but it's actually lucky for us because we're going to have the world famous Andrew Cotter, the guy who obviously just commentated on the, the Masters at the weekend and commentates on golf and athletics and tells us all the story. And he's famous for something else as well, isn't he? Al? Oh, he is. He's got two beautiful Labradors, Olive and Mabel, who he has become world famous with over the past year. Um, if you haven't seen his stuff on YouTube, then where have you been? Because yeah, like, literally good. he's had dozens of millions of hits. And we're going to be talking to Andrew about the dogs. John, obviously, will be talking more about the sports side of things. And uh, and we've actually got a, a photograph of um, of Mabel as well chatting wow. to us on the podcast. I mean, very exciting stuff. Fab. So that's coming up next week. So that will be brilliant. And until then, what do we say? We say have we a s- good one and we, we say bye-bye. <laughs> we do. We say hang on for the Dave Williamson bass yeah, player from one. Ultravox. You're going to hear that unedited interview after this. But until next week, take care, you gorgeous individual. And we'll see you then, won't we, Cheers. John? Take care. Bye. Bye. Oh, this is the long bit again. <laughs> All right. It's, it's not often you hear that, is it? No, isn't it? That's the first time this week. <laughs> oh, See you in court. Just that bloody coat hanger. And as promised, you get the unedited interview if you want to listen to, you know, the, the, the life and times of a bass player okay. um, with some good stories, then stay right. tuned. About 20-odd years ago, I, I wrote a, a, a bass player's column in a magazine called Make, Making Music, which was a, a giveaway mag. I used to get it in music shops and things. Uh, so I, I, I know, I, I'll get hold of people and uh, interview, you know, sort of well-known bass players. And as chance would have it, at various points, I contacted bass players' people. You know, they have these, uh, they're not, not A&R, they're PR people. And when I got through to Jack Bruce, he'd actually contacted the magazine requesting an interview because he had a new album coming out. Oh, cool. Excellent. So uh, I took my courage in my both hands and went down to this very swish hotel down in Chelsea Harbour. And he had a suite there. I think it was just for, for you know PR stuff and interviews. And I sat and chatted to him for a couple of hours. A lovely man. Really lovely Brilliant. man. And a, I mean, an astonishing musician. I have a great, you know, He's a he's a god as far as I'm concerned when it comes to bass playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he didn't even then his health wasn't great, so um, I think he passed five six years ago. Yeah, he was he was mm. lovely. I mean, I, I met him when I was up in Gearloch. He was sitting um, having dinner on his own. I, I I didn't really notice him. It was a kind of fishing lodge, and I was there with my husband, and uh, basically our son had been upstairs asleep and he appeared. He was only about four, you know, demanding an ice cream halfway through dinner. Anyway, uh-huh. Jack Bruce, as it turned out, was sitting at the next table with his son, who was about the same age. He's oh. now a musician in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, the two wee boys clocked each other and went running off to play and Jack Bruce was sitting in his own. And I went, well, do you want to join us for dinner? Because, you know, we're just sitting here and the kids have gone off. So, so he did. And as he was chatting, I thought... I think that's Jack Bruce. <laughs> so it was, oh, and so it was lovely. It, it was just some random bloke you were chatting to over at, in the yeah. dinner table. You didn't realise it. Oh, wow. didn't you? Know, I mean, it's, it was a very kind of run-down hotel, to be honest. Yeah. But the but the other thing was that he said that Eric Clapton used to have a house up there uh, in Gearloch, you know, um, on the Badachru, it's called. That's ah, right. right. Um, so he'd been up 
there quite a lot with Eric. I said, oh, well, you're all just sort of lounging around and playing. And he went, yeah. And I was thinking, oh, that would have been a nice party. There was a pal of mine in New York and he went for a coffee, Ken, and he's a guitarist as well, quite pretty good guitarist. And there was Eric Clapton at the table by himself and he thought, oh, to hell, this is an opportunity. So they went over, discussed plectrums for an hour. Ah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he said, again, nice guy, nice guy. You know? I remember getting my knuckles severely wrapped not long after being working with, with Majeur because I managed to blag my way into an Ultravox gig. And uh, Chris Cross, their bass player, just came off stage. And without, I went, oh, hi, Chris, what bass is that? And he and I started talking about basses, and Midge went, oh, shut up, the two of you. <laughs> How long is it you've been playing with Midge now? Since 1998. It's a fairly flexible arrangement in as much as over the years he's had other lineups. In fact, he's got a, starting from this summer actually, which may or may not happen, of course, he's got a, a setup that he calls Band Electronica, which is him and two young lads who know more about synthesizers and loops and laptops and samples and is healthy. And they play a bit of guitar and, and one of them plays fiddle and they're recreating the various Ultravox albums. Oh, great. And going out. And, but in between whiles, he still wheels us out as well. We are the rock band, basically. There's him Charlie, the keyboard player, Russ on drums and me. And we all do sort of, you know, slightly edgy versions of the Ultravox songs, lots of fuzz guitar and thundering drums, which is great fun. Great. This <laughs> this past year, obviously, I mean, everybody's had their year hijacked. What had your year looked like until COVID? The last summer had a whole string of festivals, as we have most summers. And that would have been predominantly a thing called Let's Rock insert name of location, just moves around the country week by week. And they, they start in May, June, and then every week they go to a new location. They do a, a Friday, Saturday, maybe it's a Saturday, Sunday, I can't remember. And then on the Monday, they break it all down, move it to the next setup, and then they're ready for the next weekend. And that's proved to be, I mean, not only hugely successful, because we, uh, we did Edinburgh a couple of years ago, uh, sorry, Dalkeith uh, Country Park. Oh, yeah. And 20-odd thousand people rolled up, and it was heaving. And I mean, great crowd. And uh, halfway through the set, Midge, because he's a fair old guitarist, he starts playing Flower of Scotland, and everyone starts singing along. And oh, It was just a fantastic. Hairs on the back of your neck standing up basis. So we had a whole string of those. We had other bits and bobs that all fell by the wayside. Uh, a couple of gigs in the Far East, one, one in Dubai, and all just fell away. I always wondered about Vienna. Why he chose Vienna? Was it a movie? Had he been there? Is it just the cadence of it? Uh, or the photographs? Had he been there on holiday? Why, why did he choose Vienna? I think because they wanted to go there to do the video. <laughs> <laughs> At least or something. <laughs> it, was, it was that very kind of new romantic, uh, yeah. pointy, sideburns, pouty, Raincoat vibe. The you know. raincoat, the rain, uh, epic yeah. raincoat. And Blackpool wouldn't suit. No. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't quite roll off the tongue in the same no, way. No, can't see. Although it would have that sort of foggy, mystical effect. Uh, but uh, when you pull back and there's Blackpool Tower, it's not quite the same. It was a great video, though. Tremendous video. It was, yeah. I mean, th th there was an element of, oh, let's write a song that we can fashion into an excuse to go and do something uh, <laughs> exotic for the week. Maybe we should be doing that with the podcast. Maybe we should come uh -huh. up with the, the Rio de Janeiro. Exactly. What's the chat, idea. Rio? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, we were talking about uh, first gigs we ever saw. Oh. So what was yours, Dave? Uh, Rory Gallagher at the Music Hall. 
Oh, wow, that's a cracker. Uh, or possibly Queen at the Capitol Theatre. <sighs> Both great Fantastic. gigs. I mean, just... Was that it? I mean, when you when you first saw the live music, was is that when you focused on it? You thought, do you know what? That's for me. It became something that I just became slightly obsessive about. And around the same time, uh, there was just a whole a slew of bands came through Aberdeen. Uh, I remember going to see Black Sabbath, who I wasn't particularly into, but Van Halen. I remember support. what Ozzy Osbourne was wearing. Oh, were you there? Yeah, I was ah. there. It was a sort of red all-in-one fringed sort of jumpsuit <laughs> affair, you know, which is not a good look even no. for a 16-year-old girl, but for a middle-aged, well, he wasn't middle-aged in those days, yeah. But Van Halen was a support. So that was that was the, the big thing as far as I was concerned. Black Sabbath, yeah. take him or leave him. Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Come on down. <laughs> yeah. One of the first guys I went to was at the Kynes Theatre, and it was, uh, well, the bass part would be, um, it was Yes. It was uh, oh. Rick Waitman and uh, yeah. um, Steve Howe mm. and all these guys. And, I mean, what a band. I mean, yeah. it was so well classically trained. And then John Anderson started to, to sing. You go, where the hell did he get that voice? Yeah. And then Chris Squires comes in. You go, I'm here all day. I love this. This is just great hero worship. You know? Yeah. I do remember um, I was working in Germany. I was living in West Berlin. And there was a guy who was a sponsor of one of the bands that, that I was in, and I was signed to, to Warner's in Germany. And he had a string of music shops, and he'd inherited loads of money, so he was a bit of a spoiled kid. But he, he used to have fantastic taste in music, and every music shop had stunning hi-fi and speakers you know, around the roof and all the rest of it. And I remember walking into, his name was Mickey Schwunk, walking into Mickey's shop, and he said, oh, listen to this, Dave. And he put this thing on. And this was 90125, the S album, with, and the lead single was uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart. Mind-boggling. The, I mean, the sounds, as much as anything else, Trevor Horn's production. But uh, that, that really caught my attention. Yeah. They used to say Steve Howe's to travel, if he's travelling on an aeroplane, he'd have a seat for his guitar. And when you saw his guitar on stage, you went, yeah, that's worth a fortune. I think it's oh, more, yeah, yeah. probably more valuable than some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, bass players, I mean, the guy um, in level 42 allegedly had his hands uh, insured for millions. Mark King, yes. Uh, Mark well, King. It wouldn't surprise me that the, the height of their career, his, well, his thumb, thumb primarily, I suppose, Mm-hmm. Was uh, was his living? So yeah, yeah. And uh, this this is why this last year has been a, b- a wee bit odd because these festivals that we, that we were doing last summer and the summers before then became very much a, a feature of the year because I mean, being the age I am, the eighties was my era, really, musically speaking, mm-hmm. for a lot of us. Yeah. And we'd roll up at this festival, and we'd always see the, the the you know who's on and so forth. But then you'd walk into the green room backstage, and you know with all these people, you think. That's Tony Hadley, and and, and, yeah, yeah. and you know the, the, all these these people turn up, and now I'm in sort of nodding terms with, with some of them, which is quite nice. Was there uh, some time when you were starstruck? One heroin, uh, but this has got nothing to do with directly to do with music. The other thing about musicians is it's a hard thing to earn a living at consistently. So a lot of them have other gigs and other jobs that they do, and I've done the same in between whilst doing bits and bobs. And I was working for a firm in London. I got given this address and looked at the name on the on the, the job card. I thought, familiar, why is that? So this posh house just literally around the corner from Harrods. Beautiful house. So I went up and rang the doorbell. And the door swung open. And it was Cherry Gillespie from Pan's People. <laughs> oh, now you're talking. And I, I, I turned I in. I love the, her. 
a, a, a babbling fool. I mean, I must have been, I was probably in my 30s by that time, but she still was, st oh, st it is stunning. Yeah. And I, I just I made a complete fool of myself. I couldn't string a sentence together. <laughs> I just turned back into your sort of 14-year-old yeah. self, imagining yeah, yeah. dancing on podiums. Yeah, yeah. And but she, she was always my favourite in past week. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the same. Was, I'm the same. Very posh as well. Very posh. She, she was lovely, yeah. But mm. her husband turned up and walked up the steps next to me, just as this was going off. <laughs> uh, Rob, oh, I can't remember, he's a big wheel in, in, in the record company, uh, record business. And he came up the stairs and he gave me this withering look as if to say, oh, not another one. Rush-wise or first gig-wise, the first gig I ever went to was Slick. Ah, ah yes. Which I knew was, well, mid-years I don't know if it was his first band, but my, I was at the Capitol in Aberdeen, of course. Oh, right. The okay. scene of many a crime. Mm. And it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. And after they'd sung, Requiem was their big song. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember going round the back, probably with Sarah and Jeff and my friends, and standing there and he just put his head out the dressing room window, which was the first floor kind of thing. And he had a comb in his pocket and he combed his hair back because it was a very short, slick, slick uh -huh. haircut and flung the comb down and that's when we all lost all you know personal control and <laughs> guddling about in the gutter trying to get mid-year's comb which I failed to get oh no see. but, uh, but yeah I, mean, I can remember that today. yes <sighs> but no it was it was a seminal moment in um, in my life actually and uh -huh. the thought that my old pals now as bass player does give me a bit of a thrill oh well I'll, I'll mention it next time I see him Yes, I'm, I'm not sure when that will be, sadly, at the moment. But yeah, um, I know he yeah. went off. I did actually interview him once a few years ago, and he was living at that point, or he was about to go and live in Canada. He had a home in Canada. Oh. Uh, he had a very well-appointed sort of, I mean, they call it a log cabin, but it was vast and huge picture windows overlooking frozen lakes and things. Mm, lovely. Um, but yeah, he had that for a while. And I think he was a Jack Daniels drinker. Would that be correct? Uh, yes, before he, he got his act together, he, that's very well documented in um, his autobiography. But yeah, when I first started working with him, he, he still liked a dose of the prescription, as he called it, mm. which was basically a tall glass with 98% uh, Jack Daniels and 2% Diet Coke. I just remember him being a really nice guy, you know, because obviously having been that teenage girl in the front row screaming at him on stage... Again, it's a, you get a bit twitchy and a bit sweaty of the top lip, you know. But he was very easy to talk to and a very, very nice guy. So he is. He's a good. He's a good man. Well, you must think that yeah. you've worked with him for what twenty years now. Twenty, twenty, twenty-three years. Don't know where the time goes. I don't know where the time goes either, to be honest. But um, yeah, no, I'm very grateful to to still be able to do that. I mean, this is assuming that it restarts, but I think it will. Oh, I'm sure it will. Yeah. I'm sure it will. I mean, you yeah. must have had some. Uh, laughs at the festivals you know things when things don't go perhaps quite the way yeah. that they're planned this is this is the the hurry up and wait part of of the the profession and there's been a few notable uh incidents there was one uh, festival we got asked to do in the czech republic and we were told that uh, we'd be going on stage after big german band bell book candle or something i can't remember so sure enough come whenever it was 11 o'clock there were there were on stage and the place was heaving loads and loads of people the field was full and it was freezing cold and so we thought oh great we'll get to play this great crowd so the the 
main band finished, da-da, off they went. We got up on stage and the crowd just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> We're left playing to this empty field uh, in the middle of, of the Czech Republic to nobody. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you walk out on that stage and there are thousands of people there, do you still get that buzz or, you know, and it puts you on edge and you end up putting more into your performance, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every so often on a gig, I have to pinch myself because we're doing, doing Vienna or so, some ultra ox tune and especially the outdoor festivals because um, the people are there, not just to see any of They've come to see people from their significant period of their life. PDs, yeah. yeah. And they go for it in, in big style. Um, and that still pinch yourself moments. You think, how did this happen? You know, you kind of forget the, the preceding 20 years or however long it's been. It's not only uh, musically a really nice thing to do, but it's great fun. And long may it continue. Oh, I tell you, we were talking about this, the, the thought of going and seeing some live music, you know. I mean, everybody's missed something more than anything. And I'm sure as a musician, you know, playing it, but being on the other side of it as an audience member, you know, I can't wait. So what would you say is the biggest gig that you've performed? You know, the the biggest gig, the the biggest crowd? gig at Dalkeith Country Park just a couple of years ago. That That was big. Either that or... Midge got me involved in a thing called Wicked Women, but they had one thing that was run by Ronan Keating. He'd set it up because it was a cancer um, charity event in memory of his mum. So Midge got asked to MD that, and basically that means booking all the musicians, getting them all rehearsed, learning all the songs for this stream of acts that would come on stage with the same backing band. Hmm. Um, And that must have been 20,000 plus. I mean, that was a big, big crowd. It sounds like a lineup and a half. That it was. I mean, it was. It, it was an odd kind of thing because it was a charity event, so no, nobody's getting paid. But we had a week's rehearsal beforehand in London. There was uh, Beverly Knight, Ronan Keating, um, Baby Spice, uh, Robbie Williams came and did it turn on his own actually with with uh, just with backing tracks and he didn't have time to rehearse. Uh, and all these people just kind of wandering in. Beverly Knight was was the the least affected of a lot of them. She t- a lot of them came in with an entourage and their manager and their requirements and so forth. This is the rehearsals during the week. And Beverly had just turned up. Her manager dropped her off at the front door. She came in on her own and picked the mic up and just blew us all away. She's still, even now... She has got some oh, set of pipes, hasn't she? She's just extraordinary. Voice, but lovely yeah. lady as well. It's always nice mm. to hear. My, my wife got me um, tickets at Hyde Park, just when you mentioned Hyde Park, for Bruno Mars. Blew oh, me right. away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his brother, I'm a drummer as well, his bro- not as good as him, his brother plays drums. And uh, he used to work for the LAPD and then thought, no, I can take up drums. And he tried to make it on his own and then brought his brother in and then the rest is history. Tight as anything, a really oh, tight band. Yeah, again, a great show, but he's got phenomenal musicians. And again, they seem to have this connection. Um, it's not just a case of assembling. This is a weird thing about, about musicians in general. Um Although this might be a bit of a throwaway remark, most musicians who are working professionally are capable of doing most gigs. And the technical ability is less important, though, than how well you fit in. And that can be for a number of reasons. I mean, it can be your look, uh, less so the older you get, perhaps, but also how people perceive you as uh, your authenticity as a musician. Um, But also whether you just fit in, because nobody wants to be stuck in a tour bus for upwards of three, four weeks, up to months with somebody who's a bit of a twat. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So that counts for a lot, as well as, I mean, as you know yourselves, it's not it's not what you know, it's who you know. If you get contacts, then that counts for so much. And th- this is something that continues to amaze me, because I, I know uh, most of my friends on Facebook are predominantly musicians, and they clearly know each other. And you think, how do they know each other? <laughs> These weird connections. And it's a small world, I guess. There was a, an odd... Uh, incident that happened a few years ago because in, in between gigs and all the rest of it I, I do um, network telecoms audiovisual kind of work techie kind of stuff and I used to do bits and pieces for a firm in Wimbledon Village and they got me to do some work for Pete Tong who lived in the village at the time and so I got to know him quite well I popped around his house and sort this out do that whatever else um, and uh, I had a connection with him but completely unrelated to anything musical but as chance would have it, we were doing a festival uh, with Midge. I think it was one of Chris Seven's car fests uh, a few years ago. And who should saunter through the green room but Pete Tong? And Pete goes, all right, Dave. And I go, all right, Pete. <laughs> and everyone else goes, how the fuck do you know Pete Tong? <laughs> because it all went Pete Tong. It yeah, well, yeah. had to go around <laughs> yeah. and fix it, yeah. yeah, yeah. So of course I didn't. I didn't. I didn't admit to knowing him anything other than professionally. We've known each other no, for years, you know. God, we're always do, we're always clubbing together, Pete and I. <laughs> uh, no, it must be interesting though, as you see the now that everybody's stopped. Well, not everybody, but the majority of people have stopped the wild lifestyle. You know, I mean, I remember interviewing Status Quo and. Uh, you know, we'd sort of broke for a, it was a live show, but we'd done a rehearsal and, uh, you know, there was a couple of hours between the two. And I was like, right, where are you going, you know, your rock and roll pub crawl. Francis Rossi was after a, a kind of, was a gentle Chinese tea, as I recall. Well, we did a, a show in Ireland with him again, a number of years ago. And after they played, they had a big tour bus uh, and they went straight on the tour bus and we'd by this time gone down to the Europa in, in Belfast. It's the, the big sort of rock and roll hotel there. And we were looking out the, the front of the hotel and this tour bus pulled up outside. The door swing open and status quo come in, uh, all wearing uh, f- fluffy dressing gowns and slippers. <laughs> and then all disappeared up to the rooms and weren't seen again. And we were expecting oh. to come down to, especially Rick Parfit, to come down to the bar and, and, and you know. Run amok. But no, didn't. Disappeared. I know. They say that Mick Jagger's a sort of yoga fiend, and I suppose you can't get to that age and stage and still do these things. If How you're, they're no. still alive is just baffling to me. And then I remember one time Keith Richards was uh, was on holiday and he fell at a palm tree and he injured himself and nearly died. And I thought, God, if you're going to die, Keith, don't do it at a palm tree. You know, do some really rock and roll, like John Entwistle, cocaine and hookers or something. You know, get some rock and roll there, you know. There's a great quote from Roger Daltrey after... John passed in that fashion that you mentioned a moment ago, yeah. where he, he was quoted as saying, and I, I hope it's true, he said, well, it's a death, rock and roll death, and known men uh, need be ashamed of. Really? <laughs> yes. Hopefully this time next year we'll all be absolutely partied out because we'll have been making up for lost time and, you know, yeah. you'll be back from a myriad of tours and John and I'll be well, out of Betty Ford again. And Fingers crossed, you never know. Uh, I, I got an odd phone call the other day. I said, "This is this, this is where where the the sort of the patchwork of of survival for a musician uh, comes to the fore." This bloke rang me up and asked me to do a, a bagpipe session, 
um, because I, I do play the pipes badly and very infrequently. I think the last time I picked them up was probably 10 years ago. Um, but I also have the, the, the distinction of having been asked by Radio 1 to record, record bagpipe versions um, of some pop songs. There was a Radio 1's Big Day Out, I think it was in, um, in Scotland. It was a number of years ago now. Um, and they were looking for something to use for their quizzes where they, they get pop stars on and then uh, have to get try and get them to identify their own songs. And because it was in Scotland, they got hold of me and asked me to record versions of Thong Song by Cisco and Bound for Da Reload by Oxide and Neutrino on the bagpipes. <laughs> Which I truly did. Uh, yeah. And uh, the funniest thing was Cisco didn't recognise his own song. <laughs> I don't know if that says much about him or your bagpipe playing. I'm not sure <laughs> who's coming worse off. No, the, the bagpipe playing wasn't great, to be honest. No. <laughs> I think you're being modest. Lovely. Well, it's it's been lovely to chat to you and catch up with you. And, and you too. Well, yeah, let's let's get you back on when things have opened up and, sure, sure, you know, we're all back to whatever normal ever was. And I hope it's later this year. Well, take good care. You too. You too. Lovely to see you. One of these days I'll see you face to face. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Nice to chat to you, John. Cheers. Cheers. This is the end.